I'm golden. No, I'm good to talk about pretty much anything. And then if I don't want to talk about Samo, Samo, fuck off. Say that for another. Fuck off with that. (laughs) I won't say that. That's a hard pass. Fiona Forbes slams local podcast. You imagine? (laughs) Flip the table. I'm out of here. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This Is Van Color, I'm celebrating the second anniversary of this podcast. I've been doing this damn thing for two years. Can you believe it? I can't because I've clearly been having way too much fun. I've lost all track of time. But since this is the two-year anniversary episode, I have to remind you, drop me a review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Twitter at Van Color, and you know what? Just reach out and say hi if you want. I love chatting with listeners. I've even become friends with a few listeners, so do not hesitate. And on the subject of new friends, joining me to celebrate this milestone, she is Vancouver royalty, a queen, in fact, a Leo award-winning Canadian television personality who always lights up the screen. You know her as the long-standing host of Urban Rush, which then became The Rush. She's interviewed over 25,000 people over the last two decades, from Hollywood A-listers to prime ministers, to rock stars. Her broadcast career spans over several networks and outlets from CKNW to CBC to Shaw to Glacier Media to Global News to Hubcast Media. And while she is a big star, I really want to emphasize how much she does for the community with organizations like CKNW's Kids Fund, Pink Shirt Day, Dress for Success, and Canucks Autism Network, Oh, and she once ran the Honolulu Marathon on a dare. Regis Philman once told her, you've got something, kid, born and raised in Vancouver. She is Fiona Forbes. Fiona, how are you? I don't know if I can live up to that introduction. Holy smokes. You're going to have to on my second anniversary of the podcast. And first of all, (laughs) congratulations, Mo. I, I mean... Two years doing this. How many episodes? 80 some odd episodes? Yeah, something like that. That is no easy feat doing a podcast. So ladies and gentlemen at home, big round of applause for Mo <laughs> for doing all the work. I'm just here talking. <laughs> you could be my hype man. That was pretty good. <laughs> you know, I was actually thinking of who I wanted to talk to for this episode. I, I'm actually not putting pressure on you. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But I was like, who do I want to celebrate this milestone with? And I've always had a great chat with you. So I was like, you know what? Let's get Fiona on here. She hasn't done the full show yet. Let's do this. When you sent me that message, I was so, I was speechless. I was like, that's a huge honor. I mean, I've hit a couple milestones on shows myself and I know that it's an honor to be here. So thank you so much, Mo. Oh, thank my you. pleasure. This has been a weird year. Yes, think? I'm calling it the year of what next? What now? Yeah. Come on. Give us a break, universe. (laughs) We first met in January. And just to think how much time has passed, which is only six months, not even. Feels like six years. But how much has changed? The whole world has been turned on its head. I mean, that was right before stuff got weird. Yeah. And the world started going sideways. And last time I saw you, we were sitting right here in the same studio. And it was January, new year, new me. We all have big goals. Let's do this. Yeah. I was killing it. I was on those, on pace, on all my goals. I was killing it. 
and everything was blown up and I had no idea that literally within two months, things would be so much different. So much different. I, nobody could have guessed this. None of us were prepared for this. And in the moment that we're in now, mid-June, who knows what's going to happen next? Yeah. Tomorrow. That's the scary part. The next part. hour. I just <laughs> feel like every time I turn around, there's something going down. But I mean, we're still here. Yeah. You're selling a, celebrating an anniversary. You know, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. While we can. While we can. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but I, I think you're right. Like, I kind of feel like a squirrel. You know how you look at a squirrel and they're always panicked and they're paranoid? Yeah. That's how. I think that's Star Trek. Yeah. What's behind me? What's in front of me? What's above me? Yeah. Where's the next thing coming from? Totally. Because every month it feels like there is something new. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess uh, it's hard to sum up how anyone feels during this time. I mean, we've all had to learn so much about how to adapt, how to change, how to survive, how to be resilient. And I think it's brought forward the best in so many people, Um, the worst in some. Donald Trump. But that aside, I you know, it's brought a lot of people closer together, uh, families, friends. I know that's what it's done for me. I'm trying yeah. to look at the positive because don't get me wrong. There's been, we can look at both. There's been a lot of cons. <laughs> but looking at the positive of where we've come since we all learned what it's like to live through a pandemic because we still are, yeah. even though our cases are down. And I, I, I say it over and over again to my family and friends, to myself every day. I'm so lucky that we are here in Vancouver, oh, yeah. that we are here in Canada. I mm-hmm. mean, I my heart goes out to anyone anywhere on the planet that's, that's dealing with the pandemic the way we thought we would be. Mm-hmm. But thankfully to the good guidance we've had here in British Columbia, we're in, I think, knock on one a pretty good spot right right now don't sugarcoat it for me how did you hold up because you are or you strike me as someone who's very social you strike me as someone who likes to go out likes to be with friends how did this affect you you know, socially, it's funny because I think on the exterior, it does look like I'm a huge social butterfly. <laughs> I'm a complete introverted nerd that has a really hard time with social you were, anxiety. You were just telling me you were hard pressed for time because you got to go party with your girlfriends. Oh, well, wait, it's the second time I've seen my friends. But to answer your question, how has it been? Oh, don't get me wrong. I've been on my friends and I call it the COVID coaster. Yeah, I have good days. I have bad days. I've been to hell and back like a lot of people mm-hmm. emotionally. Um, this is taking taken a toll on me and everybody else I know. And I have good days and I have bad days. And it's funny, bad moments can hit you at any time because, I mean, even last night, I mean, like I said, we're in a really good place here in BC, but I was having one of those existential crises that I was going, what is the world going to be like next year? Like, where are we going to be? Is this going to end? Will there be a vaccine? We're living through a pandemic like nobody has seen in a hundred years. Yeah. This is a trip, and it's not necessarily a good one. (laughs) No, it's not. But it's finding, I guess it's just finding the positives all the time. I was having a dark moment last night, and it's finding your way out of it. I was like, okay, self. You can't think that way. You can't be defeatist. You can't Mm -hmm. be nihilistic, because that's not going to do any myself or anyone around me any good. So we just have to persevere. Yeah. And I'm lucky I've been able to work. A lot of people haven't been able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I count my lucky stars that what I do somehow, some way, the stars aligned and 
right at the beginning of the pandemic, my one-year contract with Global had ended. But oh, wow. I had kept my, <laughs> my part-time job was with the company you mentioned, Hubcast Media. They specialize in live streaming. We hmm. can do that from home. I got to work from home during the whole pandemic. Wow. Again, I thank my lucky stars because everybody's got bills to pay. So it's just somehow, some way, everything worked out. So, yeah, I try and look at that side of things when I'm having the dark moments of, you know, the world is really overwhelming right now. Yeah. I'm a news junkie. I know you are too. <laughs> I have had to give myself time limits on how much news I consume every day because Smart. Yeah. I realize that's what gets into my head and takes me to a really negative place. Do you feel like you're still on the COVID coaster? Because you said even last night yeah. you had sort of that dark moment. Because it's not over. I mean, we're right. gradually opening our economy. It was because I had a conversation with friends. I mean, yes, I'm a social person and it's been difficult, but thankfully it's brought me closer together to my close friends. And even though it's only over the phone, because I'm going to be frank, I hate Zoom calls. I have not partaken <laughs> you. in Zoom parties. I'm, you. I have to do that for work. So for me, I, like, you know, texting and calling my friends and talking to them has, but you know, we're opening the economy. I read an article yesterday about what nightclubs look like after dark right here in Vancouver. And I was like, oh, wow, there's no social distancing happening. I don't think so. Not uh, nightclubs. It doesn't look like it from the photos <laughs> of I saw on the Granville Entertainment District of lineups of people with no masks on that are socializing. And yes, I understand being young and wanting to go out. But to me, I'm going... Uh, if one person has it, they could be a super spreader. <laughs> I didn't know what a super spreader was three months ago, and yeah. I wish I didn't. All these new terms. But that those we have. are the moments, Mo, that I, I you know, because we are lucky. I keep on saying it. But things could change if we're not careful, you yeah. know? And it's not everybody is. Not everybody wants to be. I feel like I turned a corner on the coaster. I mean, maybe I'm still on it and I'm in like the dip where You're nothing's happening. You're on a COVID high. <sighs> the big thing for me was I was very low at a certain point, especially at the start. So late March, early April, I've literally put on 20 pounds since we first met because I was in such a low. I was eating junk. I just was not feeling great. And right about that time in March that you're talking about is when I was in a complete state of panic. I didn't understand what was happening around me. And yeah. that's when I was like at my lowest low. Yeah. I have not gone back there. Okay. Yeah. So me too. I was at my lowest low there. And it took some time. And there's a lot of things that happened. But I just turned the corner on like letting go of control. I have a tough time with that, Mo. You're a control a freak? <laughs> <laughs> But I've learned a lot about that during this. And that's yeah. another thing is that sometimes I do have to let go of that because I cannot control what other people are doing. Well, it's it's all an illusion mm -hmm. in the sense that you and I probably planned an amazing 2020 for ourselves, obviously did not foresee this happening. And we had to adapt. And thankfully, you know, there were opportunities, as you said, with you for uh, with Hubcast uh, and then myself being able to move things around where. Okay, plan A, not working. I'm depressed right now, but let's just try to work around this. You know, and once I let go of that idea of great that I had plans, not against planning, not against goal setting or anything like that, but just recognizing that in the long scheme of things, we don't really have any control over mm -hmm. any of this stuff. And it's almost a good reminder in a way. Yeah, it presses the reset on a lot of things. I'll agree with you on that on the positive. But at the same time, 
Because you don't stress the petty stuff. Yeah. When you realize like there's so much of life that is out of your control and so much of what you stress is about how other people perceive you or how they interact with you or whatever else, right? Things that are out of your control. Then why are you stressing it? Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it's reset the way I think about a lot of things like that, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. you know, little things. <sighs> Who has time for that right now? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, it's the big picture things. And it does, you know, great. We all had plans for 2020. It's not happening. We can restart that. You know, and if you had asked me that two months ago, I'm like, but I can't. No, I'm panicking. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. No joke, like real anxiety, real, real fear. Yeah. And I think a lot of people had the real, well, maybe not quite like I did. I mean, I had really dark moments in the middle of the night where I'm like, you know, what is happening? <laughs> I thought the world was going to end. I'm not going to lie. It still could end. I know. It could. Because <laughs> we could be thrown another, another curveball by the universe. But I mean, I had moments where I just really thought that the world was not going to be okay because we didn't know what COVID was. We didn't know what this pandemic was. We just yeah. knew that it was spreading like wildfire all over the world. We usually have not had that in Canada with, uh, well, we haven't had a pandemic that's global, but mm-hmm. we've had epidemics that didn't quite hit here. So it really, for me anyways, was the first time ever experiencing any anything like this. And the fear and anxiety that I had at the beginning, the month or so, when it was just all a giant question mark, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I oh, was yeah. terrified. Yeah. I'm sure you were too. Oh, 100%. Because, yeah. and again, a lot of this is coming from a similar place of privilege where it's like, okay, I have an income. I have these securities and whatever. But at the start of that pandemic, I was counting up, you know, my savings and my assets. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to survive? How long can we do this? Yeah, exactly. Like you're planning for the worst case scenario. Yeah. And once again, kudos. I mean, say what you want about Justin Trudeau and the government that we have. But the way that for those who weren't fortunate enough to work, and some of them still aren't, uh, I'm so thankful that our government had that money in place. And it's so easy to just, oh, you need it? Here you go. Go to the CRA website. It's yours. I mean, it had its issues, but I will say the money went out pretty fast, mm-hmm. went out pretty efficiently. Compared to other that. places? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, dark and scary moments. And they haven't all passed for me because I still there's still so many unknowns. Did anything surprise you either about yourself or your reaction to COVID? It's been surprising every day. <laughs> if you mean surprising as in shock and awe. I'm shocked. Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you mine. Okay. And maybe this will inspire yours. Uh, and I'm not suggesting anything for you, but for me, I'm shocked that I went from eating relatively clean to literally eating junk food every day for a few weeks. Like pizza and chips, and I'm not even sure what triggered that. It was just that stress response. It's stress eating, that for I've sure. Never, but I've never had that before. A lot of people have had that <laughs> reaction, though. Like, no joke, the fridge is the best friend. I had the opposite reaction, which anxiety for me is manifests and I can't eat. Oh, interesting. And it, I, you know, I don't talk about it a lot. But I've had a past with eating disorders Mm. and I was going in that direction opposite. And I had to have a moment with myself and (laughs) it sounds great that you're losing weight and you can't eat and all that stuff. And, but you know, for me, it's not healthy for psychological like reasons. Anorexia is a, is a demon. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going in that direction. 
has corrected itself and I am with you on the junk food train now. I have solved that. And it's because my anxiety and fear isn't at that level. Like I went, I think I went for a week where I had to check in with myself every 24 hours to make sure I had actually eaten something. Really? Yeah. And it's, and, and I think that shows that everybody has managed this, whether you're talking about food or sleep or anything health wise and emotional, everybody's different Mm -hmm. and there's no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, we all have to just make sure that we're getting through this. Okay. Yeah. But, but it's just, it manifests itself in different ways. So is that like, because I'm thinking of it from my perspective as like mindless eating. Yeah. So from your perspective, is it like mindless non-eating <laughs> where you actually have to check in and be like, Well, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but like when I, when I get stressed out to that level of anxiety that I was in, mm-hmm. I just, I don't even think about food. I can't, I can't eat appetite gone. And I think there are a lot of people like that too, mm-hmm. but yeah, now food's my friend. No, that's good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> but it's interesting how that stress creates these responses. Yeah, and right? it's dif- different for everyone. And it's just like stress eating and it, it's a comfort thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I certainly indulge in that as well. But it's just like the high highs and the low lows. Like when the anxiety was on high, it's difficult to manage. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot about myself through that and managing that and figuring it out. Uh my family's here. I'm lucky in that mm-hmm. way, too. Uh, my mom would kill me for saying this, but she's elderly. And uh, my sister and I had to make some difficult decisions on how to take care of her and what yeah. we were going to do if things got worse. And mm-hmm. we're lucky. Our mom, she's 85. She'd kill me again. I hope. Oh, mom, sorry. <laughs> she is, though. Um, but, you know, when people are in those those zones of uh, being in danger, if they were to catch the virus, it, it makes you think through everything that you do. Because I had to take care of my mom yeah. through all this. She's uh, independent. She drives. She lives by herself. A lot of people don't have that uh, at her age. And her independence is everything. So mm-hmm. we were battling each other at the beginning. Because taking the independence away of somebody who their independence is everything is extremely difficult. So that was my mom's burden that I had to help her with, her hurdle rather. And uh, getting through that together. And at the beginning, it was really tough. Yeah. Really, really tough on both of us. And we don't, we're not the arguing type of people. And we were arguing a lot. And it was all over stuff with the virus. You can't go out. You can't do that. You can't go to the grocery store. And telling my mom she can't do things is not not okay like (laughs) it's tough that's interesting because i think along with recognizing this false sense of control and the fact that we don't control anything the other thing that really was highlighted for me out of this crisis and continues to be highlighted is that we really depend on each other as independent as we think we are we are so reliant (laughs) on each other. You're reliant on that person working at that grocery store. You're reliant on your family, whether that's for emotional support or other support, such as, you know, going on, going and running errands or whatever else it might be. That was something that I think, hopefully we take that to heart as well. And maybe it creates a little more compassion as we move forward as a culture, just recognizing that we really do require people. And you might not think about the person who's working at the grocery store but like, man, they're really important in your life. <laughs> yeah, and appreciating what they do. I mean, we're talking, mm-hmm. I mean, this pandemic has put 
them, them, meaning grocery store workers, uh, any store that was open that had what we mm-hmm. needed, like drugstores and pharmacies and stuff, they're frontline workers. Yeah. I have a newfound respect for people. And it made me realize a lot of the times when I go to the grocery store, I mean, I think I'm a pretty polite person, but I have been making sure I make eye contact and say thank mm-hmm. you to everybody that's doing that. Because really, at the end of the day, they're putting their lives at risk for us to get groceries yeah. <laughs> is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, when you're talking about getting appreciation for the small things, those small things, like my grocery store is right by my house and it's open and they had food the entire time. There were times where the food chain supply was keeping me up at night. You know, are we going to, you know, everybody <laughs> ran and got toilet paper. But when I started, and that was all funny because we didn't know what was happening. But yeah. when I started going to grocery stores and seeing empty shelves, I've never seen that in my lifetime. Yeah, that's pretty weird. What you read about happens during war times, and you know we're past that now, and we understand the food. It's not a worry. Yeah, there's going to be food on it. But for those couple weeks there, where the food chain supply was interrupted and people were panic buying and the shelves were empty, whoa, we've what? What? Yeah. You mean I have to? to, Oh, sorry. I should mention my dog's here. He's quite rude. (laughs) Chewy is. Getting ready to fight someone? What triggered him? What happened? I don't know. He probably heard a noise. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be quiet now. Hi. Um, but yeah, I. you know, speaking of dogs, I always wished I could work from home and hang out with my dog, but be careful what you wish for, because <laughs> that's been the last three months. What were the unforeseen challenges that came up? Oh, so many. I mean... I joke about it. I was, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe and I was before this, but at the beginning I had a- You should be thriving. Everyone's got a mask on. I Everything's know, being sanitized. This but, is your time to shine. And then I think about th- touching things that can get inside your head, but yeah, it's uh, like, that's been a bit of a struggle, mm. uh, you know, trying to, trying to stay safe while you're doing everyday things and, and getting used to wearing a mask and all the things that you can do to protect yourself. Yeah. It, it is a struggle and it's a struggle for everybody. It's uncomfortable it's hot nobody wants to wear one but we have to and I do it on the positive I am impressed on how quickly a lot of people have adopted to the new way of I who knew we would have one-way lanes in grocery stores right you know it's just I screw that one up all the so time so do I though. I'm always going the wrong way <laughs> but yeah I mean there's so many little things changes that you know, became the new, I hate the expression, the new normal, but it is true. I mean, I was standing inside my little box at Starbucks today. I didn't have Starbucks for three months. That was interesting. Nice. (laughs) How was it? Worth it? Delicious. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've really learned to appreciate a lot of things that, and again, sounding cliche, that a lot of us really took for granted little things like stopping at your local coffee shop every day to grab a coffee before you go to work. Oh, suddenly we're not stopping at the local coffee shops because they're not open and we're not going to work. Yeah. I mean, what a trip this has been. It's been, I equate it to living in a sci-fi movie. And I had a moment of that the other day. I was driving down, I don't know, low heat highway or something. And there was a big billboard advertising face shields. And it was a happy looking woman with her face shield on all ready to face her challenges of the day. And I was like, (laughs) wow, this is something like something out of Minority Report. Like all of a sudden those ads have become normal and they're everywhere. We've got masks. Like, you know, it's the new thing. Oh, did you get, oh, I got a really cool sequin one. You know what I mean? (laughs) But it's just the new normal. How many masks are you rocking? 
Oh, I only have two. I I did buy dollar store the the cheap surgical blue masks okay. that everybody has. I got those at the beginning because those are the only ones that I could find. Yeah, literally at the dollar store by my house, but they are not that comfortable. So it was actually a friend of mine gave me two. They're just cotton masks. When I was walking, when I were walked okay. in, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool, <laughs> yeah. One thing that really fascinates me about you, and I think something that a lot of people might not know about you, is that despite being in media for so long, despite being this household name, you're still like a hustler and a grinder. Like you're still working almost every day. Yeah. I mean, I've got bills to pay like everyone else, right? I always tell people like, you know, Living in New York City, if you were on TV for 20 years, you'd be probably making $20 million a year. This is Canadian television. <laughs> of course, I'm still working and hustling, Mo. <laughs> it's impressive, though. Oh, and, thank you. And I remember when you were telling me about that, I was I was impressed. I mean, this was pre-COVID. Yeah. And you were saying that you were basically doing something every day and there was so little time. And I think that takes a certain amount of crazy in a good way yeah and just a certain amount of passion that is totally it's because admirable. i love what i do you yeah. know i i do have a passion for what i do and we we did touch on that before but i do love what i do uh i worked for a company shaw tv for 17 years and when that and and that was a comfort zone because you know mm. it's we had the same show for 17 years same co-host and when that ended and shaw tv shut down working freelance is far different from having a steady gig where you re-sign a contract every couple of years yeah so finding the right fit and the right freelance gig that was long term enough is it, it's it's so tough so i mean it's by necessity it is by passion for sure but if i won the lottery tomorrow am i going to be one of those people that say no i'm going to keep my job cuz i'm not going to do that i have a passion for it but you know i think you would still do it I in would a different probably do capacity something, but i certainly wouldn't be doing it every day no fair enough i'd be pick, cherry picking the good one <laughs> So here's what I have to ask you, because you've been doing this for a long time. Is the idea of a big break a myth? Because I feel like I knew this in my professional life. Things build on each other. Your goals, your accomplishment, everything kind of builds on each other. And then I kind of realized it through this podcast journey as well, that there is no such thing as, quote unquote, a big break, at least for me. And I do want to get your, your thoughts on it, but I want to explain where I'm coming from. I used to think, oh, you know what? If I had some spots on mainstream, legitimate media, the podcast is going to blow up. And I've done that. I did a lot and continue to do a lot with CKNW. The podcast continues to grow. I wouldn't say it blew up, but it, you know, it incrementally grows. I thought, you know what? Getting mentioned in the paper. Oh my God, that is going to make this podcast bigger than, than anything I can imagine. I had a whole feature written in the Vancouver Sun about one of my episodes, the one with Tamara Taggart. Yeah, you know, clearly saw a bounce in people listening, but, it, you know, it didn't like blow up. It wasn't yeah. this like one big break. I thought, oh, if I had this guest or that guest. And it's interesting. There are many times when I say, oh, this is a dream guest. And it's true. I never lie about that or I never pump someone's tires for no reason. If they're a dream guest, I will say it. Had them on. You know, things just grow gradually. It still requires consistency, persistence. And there's no like one moment 
where like the universe and everything in it opens up to you. You know what I mean? Maybe you just haven't had it yet. So you're saying that big breaks do exist. I think so. I think that what you're talking about, I mean, you're having, you're successful at what you do. Yeah. And I would, I would agree. And And I'm fortunate and I want to be clear. I'm fortunate for all that stuff. I'm not saying I'm, they weren't what I anticipated or anything. They were all amazing. I just felt like everything just kind of built on itself as opposed to this one thing that just came out of nowhere and, you know. I still, I I think there are big breaks. Are, yeah. I think some of them for some people can be, you know, that's it. They're the shining star. They've hit <laughs> it. They can never be higher than that. That's it. Have I had big breaks? I Sure. Yeah. I've had some great highs in my career for sure. And what you're talking about, I'm talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Did anything make it? It depends, I guess, what your expectations are after the big break. Like, is it you want to be number one show on the number one station? Mm. I mean, that's a goal, right? Yeah. You could have that phone call even tomorrow where somebody says, hey, Mo, we're picking up your podcast, whatever. You know, it can happen. Yeah. I guess maybe the realization here is that if you have these goals and even when you accomplish them, you can only celebrate them for a short period True. of time because then you still have to keep working. You're not going to retire off of an article in the Vancouver Exactly. Sun. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or it's not even going to come easier after that. You know what I mean? Like you still have to work hard. You still have to grind Absolutely. it Absolutely. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know why I had that misconception or whatever. I think I knew that in my professional life doing this. Because it, this is not my realm. This is not something that I've done before. So I had these lofty ideas of, oh, getting a big article in the Vancouver Sun is going to be a huge yeah, deal. Yeah, well, I don't think you give yourself <laughs> enough credit because there are reams of podcasts out there. Are there True. many podcasts in Vancouver where people actually know the name of the podcast and the host and what it actually is? Yours is one of the few, very few, I'd say, that in Vancouver that has a recognizable name and that is no easy feat. Do you You're think- being way too nice. No, I'm not. No, come on. <laughs> I mean, and it's not just me. My friends talk about your podcast. Wow. Yeah. So is that a big break? I don't know, but that certainly is successful when so many people are trying to do podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two, you, you two just made year, my day. Yeah. You, you See, this is why you are the perfect guest for the two-year <laughs> and anniversary. And I'm not just pumping your tires. I mean, that, and that Even all, if you are, I'll take it. I'll take I'll it. I'll take it too. But <laughs> it comes down to what you're talking about, me hustling and working all the time. If you didn't work your butt off in the last two years, yeah. get great guests, better guests all the time consistency like you said is key for anything especially in media mm-hmm. and get your name out there and keep on one-upping yourself i mean that's how you build a successful podcast Absolutely. a successful talk show like what yeah. mike and i had did we have a breakout moment maybe a couple of times mm-hmm. when we moved to network and stuff and yeah. i mean that but that again was a goal it was a bucket list for me to do what i did so we right. achieved it was it the end-all, be-all of my career? No, because I went on to something else. And yeah, yeah. still still living the dream. And I guess I didn't mean end-all, be-all. I think when I'm thinking of big break, the idea being that things do become easier, yeah. but they don't. Like you still, like I just said, like you still have to put in the work. You still have to put in the work, but I think with a big break, if you're talking about things becoming easier, yes, they can. When you get financial backing, you can actually hire people. You can make it bigger than what it is. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But those probably bring on their own stresses, their own new stresses. That yeah. You didn't then have it becomes before. like a business. 
instead of the side hustle, you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's that fine line of keeping, keeping the passion project, keeping the passion in the passion project, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So as someone who is passionate about broadcasting and media, how have you continued to stoke that fire? It's funny because I talk about it all the time because I just feel, I feel like, um, I'll go back to talking about the rush again because I feel so lucky that me and my co-host and everybody who worked on our show, we talk about it all the time because we're all still friends, Mm -hmm. uh, that we worked in the golden age of television. Right. The golden age of talk TV where people did talk shows out of Vancouver, not just one or two out of Toronto. You know, it's just, you know, we lived in the moment where people were putting money into what we did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Media, the media landscape has changed so much that nobody's really doing what I did before. So I have to figure out how to adapt myself to fit in with what media is doing now Hmm. so that I can continue doing what I love to do, which is talk to people. Yeah. And I don't, care if I'm behind the scenes on a show I'm producing one right now I'm not on camera at all for me that is a waste Fiona (laughs) Forbes but for me you know when I found my passion I think I told you before the first time I stepped onto a set I it's where I belong so Mm -hmm. it's as long as I'm in this environment even where we are right now we're in a studio uh we're in Vancouver you know it's it's just like I'm it's my happy place yeah it really is Do you think these things are cyclical in a way where you just mentioned this idea of there not being a talk show, like a Vancouver talk show? Yeah. But this is a Vancouver podcast. True. The medium's changed, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the medium's changed. But the demand is still at its core the same. Yes and no. No? Because what we used to do on TV talk shows, I guess, would be a better definition of what I'm talking about. Because people just don't do television talk shows with long format interviews anymore. Everybody Mm. wants the quick sound bites, you know, the morning shows with news, weather, traffic. And then they throw in an interview here and there. It's a different format. People watch it. So it's Mm -hmm. still on. But, you know, people stopped watching talk shows in general, not just here in Vancouver, yeah. the appetite for the kind of talk TV, uh, traditional talk TV, I think, because I think it still exists in other forms, definitely like what we're doing right now, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, talk TV is just, it's just changed. Name a talk show in Canada. I have no idea. Right? <laughs> I don't even think I can name a talk show in the U.S., to Well, be Regis honest. and Kelly would be- Oh, they're still going? Well, not with Regis. See, that's- what yeah. I had to think for a minute. I'm like, I said Regis and Kelly, but it's actually Regis and- to the Anderson Cooper and Kelly? Kelly and Coop? What do they call it? I don't, I don't even know. know. Okay. But that's what I mean. And that's a national and the, you know. It's one of the biggest daytime talk shows out there, but it's there used to be a lot more. I mean, in Canada, there is the social- that does really well. It's mm-hmm. it's a diff- It's that's been on for years, and people are still watching. So yeah, um, TV's just changed a lot. Budgets have changed a lot. Advertisers aren't advertising as much. So TV talk shows are expensive, and that is simply why people aren't doing them anymore. <laughs> Even the era of talk shows, like I'm thinking about that era where you had, and I know there's still American talk shows running, but you know, that sort of Oprah era. Oprah, Donahue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, it's just not. It's not really the same. Although anymore. I just, I wonder sometimes if Oprah decided to do Oprah again, I would watch. I think there's a lot of people out there that would. She's Oprah. Doesn't she do something on her well, own Well, she's got network? her own network, but she hasn't done a talk show traditionally like she used to anymore. Like Oprah. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, you just got to find where you fit, right? I'm still talking into microphones. <laughs> Hopefully people care. Yeah, the medium doesn't change that much. You're yeah. still talking to microphones. Yeah. <laughs> I read an interview of yours. Uh-oh. Where you talked about how producers openly talked about weight and appearance. Oh, yeah. That was from a while ago, but yeah. And when you said, you know, they were talking about weight, it was in a very disparaging terms. It was I not about health or anything I know the quote you're like talking that. about. That's very common, apparently. Very common. What's it like to be in that environment? I think the quote you're talking about is when I spoke of a high up executive, Mm -hmm. possibly as high as you could get at a certain network, who walked past me one day, said to her colleague, when mine get over 100 pounds, I put them on a diet or I take them off the air. She said something to that effect. Yeah. This is going back probably. And referring to you, unfortunately. Well, yeah. Okay. Just, yeah. Because <laughs> that's mean, a hard, hard and harsh thing to hear. And I was quite young when that happened. That was probably around 2002, I want to say, that that happened or around then. So we're going back 18 years. If that happened now, I would know how to speak up for myself. Mm-hmm. And I would have said something. But... You know, it's funny when you hear somebody say something that I'm 99% sure it was directed at me. She was walking by me looking at me and she said that. So I'm just going to say, I'm pretty sure. And even if it wasn't, it was directed at some other woman who was just when mine get over 100 pounds. And I mean, I'm five foot 10. I'm never going to be 100 pounds. I'd be dead. (laughs) But when we're talking about I've had issues with eating disorders. Well, I'm old enough and wise enough to know that they come from comments like that. Yeah, because some people would say you you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to be on television and how you look is part of the job. Absolutely. But does it need to be spoken about that way? Does weight really come into it? I mean, you have to be presentable to be on television. And I'm talking about like, well, turn like don't show up in a dirty (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. I mean, dress the part. Absolutely. Your hair and makeup and your clothing. Of course. Absolutely. It's part of what I do. And I I happen to like hair and makeup and clothing. Mm -hmm. No problem. But comments like that. Oh my gosh. It's one of those things that years later you think, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Yeah. Unfortunately, it happens a lot still. But I think that, well, in the time we're in now, I... Don't I was going to swear, but I will not on your podcast. You're allowed to. This is the space to do it. Well, I give zero Fs now. (laughs) And it could jeopardize your job. But at this Mm -hmm. point in time, in 2020, I don't think... And it it hurt me even more. It's silly because it came from a woman to a woman. It bothered me even more. Hmm. Um, So it's not just a male thing. It was a systemic thing. Yeah, and it was somebody that I admired that said it. So Mm. yeah, did I not eat for a week? Probably. Um, Mm. If that happened to me tomorrow, would I say something? Absolutely. And I would stand up for myself and I wouldn't allow somebody to say that kind of thing about me because if how I look is an issue for the job I'm doing at the time, tell me. Yeah. And is me weighing 100 pounds going to affect me interviewing somebody tomorrow? No. Yeah, yeah, well, well, if you're malnourished, it will. <laughs> I guess being over 100 pounds. Yeah. Okay. Being heavy set. Yeah. Um, no. So, yeah, it's tough. It is tough. But hair, makeup, wardrobe, whether you're an actor or TV host, yeah, there's there. you're supposed to look a certain way. You're supposed to dress a certain way. And then it gets into this scary area of, no, you can't tell me how much I have to weigh. I mean, you can tell me maybe red lipstick would look good. 
maybe a makeup artist would say something like that. But yeah, like aesthetic and like the type of look you're going for is different than... Picking on somebody's appearance is not okay. Yeah, and that's so related to health. And that somebody my height could never weigh 100 pounds. You know, it. You know, being a young woman who was working somewhere that was one of those goals for me, I just, I was, I was so upset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I almost imagine, especially when you're young and you're starting your career and you're trying to work on your craft... And there's already this baked-in expectation for appearances and being presentable. And then on top of that, you're hearing this, right? In the impossible. You're saying it's impossible now. But when you heard that in the moment, did you think, oh, shit, like, I better get on this? Or how Oh, did of course. I thought I needed to lose 20 pounds by the next day. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Because it got into my head and all of a sudden, I mean, a lot, I mean, you're trying to prepare for interviews and being on TV and and being good at your job. And all of a sudden you're so self-conscious about how you look that you want to hide and not leave the house, put a paper bag on. I mean, what a fact, the thing is saying something like that within your shot, it was intentional that I heard it. Yeah. So what are you trying to do? Break me down so I don't want to do my job? Like, you know, there... I think it comes to how people manage other people. Like nobody should be telling you about your weight like that mm-hmm. ever, period. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a different time. It, not, I'm not making excuses for it at all. But it, I mean, if it's when you're young and you just don't know how to react to a person in power who's saying something like that to you, because you're worried about you're going to get fired. Yeah, of course. If you stand up for yourself and you're worried that you're going to get fired if you don't achieve whatever nonsense that's coming out of their mouth, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Tamara Taggart mentioned that guys could really get away with, in relative comparison, being slovenly and not as well put together. She's, Is that true? She's right. Because <laughs> you never, you'd never hear... Well, I have never heard a television executive tell a man to lose weight. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. It's different for women because there are so many unreal expectations, uh, so many unreal uh, images out there that you can achieve. You know, look like this, do this, do that. You know, sure, you can wear blue instead of round to change things but yeah men don't have the same thing i think there was that um that television anchor in the united states i can't remember where a few years oh, ago wore the same thing wore for the a same year? thing yeah. for a year <laughs> that is on point because if i showed up to work if i were doing a sh- daily show and wore the same thing every well if i wore the same thing two days in a row there would be viewer mail, there would be conversations, there would be meetings, oh my gosh, you know, but it, a man yeah. does it for a full year and nobody noticed. Yeah. But it's the world we live in. When you were on Urban Rush, which became The Rush, how common was that feedback directed just at your appearance? Not really. That's good. I mean, Mike okay. and I got in trouble for the funniest things, my co-host, Mike Eckford. Um, it was pretty even keel when we'd get, we'd, we'd get reprimanded for funny <laughs> things. And it was always because it was just, it was a different environment there. And I think it comes from whoever is in the position of power and how they deal with stuff. Hmm. I don't ever have a recollection of somebody saying something in a negative way because sometimes we wanted to change the look of our show. Hmm. And if you change your set and the colors, you actually have meetings 
meetings like grownups do. How are we going to make this look good? Oh my gosh, should Mike be in a suit? Should we go a little bit more casual and wear jeans? I don't know. Like we would have conversations like that because right. part, how it's superficial, but how you look on TV actually matters. Sure. But yeah, it's having healthy conversations about that kind of stuff. I guess I meant from viewership or... Oh yeah, people write in hate mail all the time. <laughs> they still do. That was do. what I was asking. Oh, about, about viewers? Oh yeah. God, yeah, all the time. All the time. Oh daily. gosh, uh, not daily, but I mean, I mean, we're going back when I was on the rush. There wasn't a ton of social media, true. So people actually had to figure out the email address and email us. And we had bosses that, when there was negative emails, they would protect us from them oh, and not okay. like they didn't come to us. Yeah. Right. And it's it's different now because everybody's accessible on social media and they, somebody could write comments on my Instagram right now, which I mean, they do. Mm-hmm. But everybody, I think, experiences a little bit of that on social media because it can sure. be quite terrible sometimes. Yeah. Women more so on their appearance. So. 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I've been in TV so long, people used to have to write in viewer mail, like letters. Yeah. We would still get them. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Wow. But they still would a lot of effort. They wouldn't come directly you to me and Mike. stamp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now it's so easy to do that. Yeah. I mean, people just pick you apart on Twitter. <laughs> I know you got it hard one day during the, the COVID experience, but you are so positive. Do you still get... What did I get? What happened? Oh, the one, the one day during the crisis, we talked about this. I gave you a phone call because people were calling you a Nazi because you were trying to break up a soccer game. I was, yes, no, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But aside from that, like your Twitter and social media presence is very positive. Yeah, I mean, I block people. I, I see. I'm not in a place. I find that you probably get more hate mail than me because you talk about difficult subjects in politics. (laughs) And I find that 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 realm of things, it brings on a lot of negativity. And I mean, right now I'm basically doing lifestyle content. I mean, people say I just am not in that that lane right now where I'm a target at people. And by saying so, I'm probably going to make myself targeted for somebody to tweet us going. (laughs) I don't know the lifestyle demo, so I don't know what they're like. They could be rabid. It's a lot nicer (laughs) than, you know, I had a very short time at CKNW as a fill-in host. But when you're talking about politics and I mean, people just get angry all the time and I admire anybody who works in that end of the business where I mean I've talked to Linda Steele about it how do you handle it I mean I see some of the stuff she gets stuff in droves on a daily basis it's unbelievable and I think you have to have such a thick skin for that and some people are designed for it and some Mm -hmm. people are not if I had to do that full time I can honestly tell you I'm not sure I have a thick enough skin for that level of stuff and it's just, and I know people are just anonymous behind their keyboards. I don't know where they find the time or energy. When I look at some, I do love looking at the comments on some articles because yeah. I am amazed at how evil some people are oh, on yeah. social media. Not even anonymously. I'll look at their profile when somebody says something mean to me. I was out of curiosity before I block. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> and it'll be a mom with kids. So and weird, right? It's very bizarre. One thing I noticed, and I think this, again, has to do with mediums, not just what you're talking about in terms of substance, but the actual medium that's being presented in. For the podcast in general, do you want to get Chewy? I'm going to go get Chewy because I don't know if the viewers, I mean, the audience can hear, but he's sniffing something. It sounds like there's a pig snorting in here. It's Chewy. Chewy is a detective. He is investigating. But go on. I'm way over here, people. I'm coming back. My tiny dog. 
so with regard to the medium, what I was going to say is, surprisingly, the podcast itself, when I get feedback, it's generally pretty good and constructive. So even when people disagree or they have a different opinion, I think it's because they have to sit with a long-form podcast for a while that they're not just like shooting hate at me. Like just answering a tweet. Yeah, I see what you mean because they yeah. have to be invested in what you're saying. Exactly. And, and they've listening. spent time with the podcast and they, you know, there's, and I do those little clips. So sometimes you'll get, you know, these knee-jerk reactions and that's fine. But generally, I, I feel like the criticism is great. And even when it disagrees, it's fine. I started doing these Daily Hive articles and I realized, and literally the Don't Daily- Don't read the comments I know, I know. on Daily Hive. Oh, they're so bad. And what's crazy is the Daily Hive articles that I'm writing are literally summaries of some episodes that I'm doing here. So you're having the same message, but in one medium, there's like a much more thoughtful, supportive feedback mechanism. And then on the other medium, it's just people who are not reading the article. <laughs> Most <laughs> people just... <laughs> don't read the words, Mo. Come on, we know that. They read the headline. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. It is funny, and you're right. It's the medium, but how do you handle it? I do not read the Daily Hive comments anymore. That's probably healthy. When I started, I would go into like the actual Daily Hive comments on the article. Those wouldn't be that many comments. You'd get a few comments there. The honeypot, I should say. Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. And that's where you see yourself being accused of all sorts of things <laughs> that you didn't even think were in the realm of possibilities. I know. For me to be accused of being a Nazi, I thought, was like, as you, right? Like, you had a similar experience. Yeah. And, and I was just like, how, how did they reach that conclusion? What a horrible thing to say to another human being. You know, it's just, I just... A person of color, no less. <laughs> I know, and I just, I don't understand and I never will. And it's probably why I spend a little bit less time on Facebook and Twitter these days during mm -hmm. the pandemic. Don't get me wrong, I'm a social media junkie, I will admit it. But during the pandemic, I find that kind of negativity, even when it's not directed at me, if I read something about you or anybody else who's a friend that I know, it just, it just hurts hurts me yeah. where do people why why do you do that people if anybody has an answer please uh write to mo not me <laughs> <laughs> no but i know what you mean because when um when you're talking about the podcast and people engaging with you uh those are your that's your audience mm -hmm. those are people that are tuning in they've they've sought you out let's yeah. put it that way and they've come across an article they don't know you they just uh, mean people in the i don't know if there's ever a cure for those people no um no. And it's interesting. I actually really like Twitter. I like Twitter because now I've cultivated some friendships and it is like this like chat room that you go in and out of throughout your day. For mm -hmm. me, I probably use it too much. Are there negative people? Absolutely. They're there. But generally, you're like chatting with people you kind of know throughout your day. It's fun. It's, it's quippy. A, it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> when you're engaging with the right people. And I'm all uh, for proper discourse i mean you said mm -hmm. somebody criticizing you and there's difference between somebody criticizing you and critiquing you i'm totally open to the constructive stuff yeah it's just that super negative stuff and i agree with you social media has a lot 
of um, positive things about mm-hmm. it. But sometimes it does go to such a negative place. And it's probably because I follow mostly news outlets on Twitter because I use it as a news aggregator when I want to know what's going yeah. on. Uh, but it means I'm following a lot of uh, political accounts, a lot of you know, stuff that is going to set people ablaze if I say certain things or express an opinion. Good Lord. <laughs> How dare she have an opinion? And then you get into the cesspool of things. But uh, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. There are positives for sure. It's, it's Facebook the most these days that I find has been become extremely negative. So. Yeah. Everybody's fighting and, every, you know, it's really brought to the surface. Um. What did my friend say the other day? People are sure telling on themselves on social media these days, Mm. meaning that, wow, I didn't know that you supported such a bizarre right-wing conspiracy theory that has no basis in fact. And wow, okay, I people I know. Yeah. It's been very revealing in a lot of ways and kind of sad to me. Or like those people you might have... In the background on Facebook, maybe you met them once or twice mm-hmm. or don't know them that well. And then suddenly they're posting quasi-racist or just straight up racist There's been things. that too. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize you were like that. Shocking. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Thankful. I'm thankful for the block and delete yeah, for portion. Sure. Or people that don't believe there's a pandemic and they think it's all a giant conspiracy theory and and fine have your conspiracy theories go believe in the lizard people i don't care but when it comes to things like a pandemic that's extremely contagious i do care because it it could affect my health sure opinions and covid two different things (laughs) like i'm gonna go with the science on that one (laughs) yeah i'll I'll admit i know nothing so i do defer to a scientist or a doctor yeah 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 (laughs) You are a very recognizable person in this city. You're on social media a lot. You're on Instagram. Do you get recognized a lot, like just in your daily life? I know we've had the COVID quarantine thing outside of that. Like, do people go, hey, oh my God, Fiona Forbes? No, they usually do this. Oh, hey. Oh, 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 sorry. I thought I knew you. Oh, hey, you look really <laughs> familiar. Did what high school did you go to? Because, you know, people look different in person. Yes, I get recognized and stuff. I think any been on TV half my life. Yeah, exactly. In the same city. So a lot of people do. But I've changed how I look. I've grown up, gotten older. But also people really do look different in real life. And mm. uh, it's funny because my co-host, Mike Eckford, and I are still very good friends. People always recognize both of us when we're together. Because they see the image of the show. And they're like, oh, my oh. God, I love you guys. And oftentimes when we're separate, and he and I have talked about this a lot, people do that to us that where we look vaguely familiar, people stare a lot. One of my friends thought he would do a social experiment. It was really funny. Um, Pre-COVID, obviously, uh, because it was really busy on Robson Street. And we were, I can't remember what we were doing, but we're walking down Robson Street on a really busy Sunday, uh, sunny day. And he said, I'm going to walk 10 feet behind you because I cannot handle the way people stare but he did it so he could hear what people would say when i walked past oh wow so yes people recognize you but they won't always was that good for the soul or bad for the soul no it was good for the soul (laughs) because i think it's that thing not that i'm i consider myself famous i consider myself recognizable sure um but with people what people say about vancouver that people don't bother real celebrities because it's a it was a polite thing they just didn't want to invade my space we're like oh my god that, do you think that was Fiona that was Fiona yeah, yeah that was Fiona 
But yeah, I think people in Vancouver are very polite about that kind of stuff. I wouldn't have been. If I saw you, like, <laughs> for talking pre-podcast, I'd be like, oh my God, Fiona Forbes, and I been should we so get a selfie? <laughs> and people ask me if that bothers me. It definitely happens at places like hockey games right, or football games because people are in that friendly... We're well, all here together. Thing. Also, a lot of dudes. A lot yeah. of dudes. Well, that. <laughs> but um, yeah, and people ask me if that has ever bothered me, but no, because people always come up and say nice things. I mean, it's pretty rare that anybody would approach anybody who's recognizable and say something nasty because people only have the balls when they're on Facebook in the comment <laughs> section. In person, people are really nice. Yeah. But yeah, they often think I'm familiar. Or they think I've no. They, you know, they mistake me for someone and apologize. Like, oh, I thought I knew you. Sorry. Sorry. So Canadian. Sorry. (laughs) It's nice. It's flattering. Yeah, I think so. What's interesting about you is you are very public in the sense that you're on social media, you're on TV all the time, you have been on TV for a long time, but you do keep certain parts of your life quite private. Is that out of necessity of being a public persona, or is that just sort of how you are? It's just because I'm weird and awkward, really. <laughs> it's, the true, it's the true answer. But you post on Instagram. I do. You're not that weird or awkward. Uh, but I do, but you'll notice if you look at my Instagram, I don't always, I don't often post other people with me. And it's not oh. because I'm an extreme narcissist, <laughs> although all social media has a, a little bit of that. Um, but because my friends, like, you know, I'll, I'm one of the friends ask friends if it's okay to post photos. Oh, I don't. You see, you're a guy. <laughs> it's a girl code thing. Do you look okay? Okay. Do you like this one? Do you like that one? No, let's take 500 more. Yeah. Um, but um, no, my family isn't in the public spotlight. Um, so I never really post. I rarely post anything about my family, especially my niece and nephew, who I love dearly. Mm-hmm. But they don't. They're not really on. So they're teenagers, and um, they're at the age where social media is not really cool. Probably TikTok is, but I'm too old for that. So we're like we're in a different world. Um, but yeah, I'm private, and I'm getting really awkward talking about it because this is what happens when I talk about me. Because I'm used to when I'm talking about control, <laughs> I'm usually in your position. But now you're controlling the conversation. And you're asking, "Oh my God, what do I say?" Um, but yeah, I'm just a private person. <laughs> Does it come out of necessity? No. It, yeah. Was it a conscious choice? No. Um, but there was kind of a turning point and it goes back again, like 15, 20 years, a long time ago. Uh, my boyfriend at the time, um, he was really successful in his end of the business. He Mm -hmm. worked in the the TV film business as well. And somebody approached us and said, Hey, I'd love to put the two of you on the cover of this magazine as Vancouver's power couple. We were the same kind of people that were like, we were like politely smiling, but I said to him after, I'm like, did that make you feel really awkward? Because I don't want to do that. And he's like, neither do I. Um, <laughs> some people love embracing their yeah. personal life as part of what they do. And I have no judgment on that. For some reason, it just makes me feel icky and weird. Hmm. I don't know why. And we're living in an age where popularity on social media is being um, transparent. And, you know, I'm totally raw and real. I'm t- Hey, don't make fun of vulnerability. I Come live on. by vulnerability. I'm vulnerable, except for I don't bring my friends and family <laughs> no, in it fair with enough. me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I guess I've never really been one, and I, I shouldn't make fun because it's what other no, people want to do. No, no, make fun of This whole show is about talking shit It's just not what I want to do. Do you fear that people will judge you or? No, it just makes me feel weird. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just, you know, maybe I'm not married, but perhaps if I were engaged or married or something, then I'd be okay. (laughs) But still, there's something really precious to me about having a private life. Yeah. And I, my friends are the same way. A lot of my friends are in the same business. And I guess part of it is that we spend our time on TV worrying about how we sit, how we look, how we smile, how's our hair. When we're together, like when I see my friends that I'm talking about seeing tonight, Nobody will have time for cell phones and taking pictures. And um, when you're talking about being real and in the moment with my friends is what I do. And sure, I'm not one to hide anything. It's not secret. Yeah. But I just kind of choose not to. And most of my social media is my professional stuff. I don't ever really post about my private life. Mm. And that, again, is just... He post about Chewy. Yeah. Well, he's got his own Instagram now because he was hogging mine. It's at Smiling Chewy if you'd like to follow him. He really does smile. He's super cute. And if you're panting, it's him, not me. Um, but yeah, it's just been a, it's just been a choice, and it's what works for me. And if other people want to, you know, never really understood doing live stories during date night for me. Oh, date, that's weird. Yeah, it's yeah, weird. Like weird. when I, I date night for me is like not with cell phones. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, and I hope you don't feel like I'm prying because I I do find it interesting. No, that- because you were polite and you texted me and asked me just so you know what kind of person Mo is if it was okay if he asked me this question and I said yes and I said I thought in my head I'm gonna get awkward and weird and I am no you're not it, <laughs> it just fascinates me because there are some people that fully share everything right and they do I mean they're already in the public spotlight and they're doing like basically public journaling mm-hmm. right which is totally cool and then there's other people that even though they're in the public spotlight they uh you know they don't do that. They hold back, yeah. Or some that might not even be on Instagram, right? Or a combo. Like there's different yeah. levels of it. You mentioned not being married. This is something that I'm kind of going through, even as a guy and a, who is slightly younger than you. Is do you think there's a stigma with like not being married? Not with at my a certain friends. Age? We're over the hill. But it, but <laughs> in the culture. Culturally, yes. I mean, I think things were different for me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, my family never pressured me about marriage, but they certainly would ask me about it at every family dinner, <laughs> every single one, yeah. and every single family member. But it kind of happened naturally when my dad passed away that the pressure came off me because I guess the tradition of what would have been if I got married when my dad was alive all of a sudden it wasn't the same and hmm. my sister had a traditional wedding with the family and stuff that's what she wanted and it was a while back when my dad was still alive but i guess the pressure just came off because it's different fam- family dynamic i guess yeah without the father figure there to walk you down the aisle so the pressure came off interesting and it wasn't just he he, he ironically never pressured me but it was the other family members but when my dad passed away it was kind of interesting i didn't notice till a couple years later i'm like no one's bugging me about that anymore that's kind of (laughs) cool yeah but culturally i I think in some cultures absolutely yeah there's pressure to get married young or what i'm finding a bit mind-blowing right now is so my mom passed away 10 years ago and i would also say and she passed away quite very young but i would also agree that when she passed away I was hearing that a lot less Mm -hmm. from family members about when are you going to get married. And I was getting older, so you'd think I'd hear it more. Same. But I was hearing it a lot less. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's interesting how that changes the dynamic. Definitely changed the family dynamic. I think in the culture, there is that 
weird stigma. And I don't understand why it matters to so many people. I was in a, I have a poker game with friends and one of the dads is, uh, is playing in the room too. So he found out that uh, someone's going to have a kid. Everyone was super excited. And that dad turned to the two guys who are not married and don't have children. And was like, what's taking you guys so long? Like, instead of rejoicing in this one person's joy, like, immediately putting, turned to us. I think that's just human nature. Why? I it doesn't don't make know. any sense. It's kind of funny because I have one friend and she's been my friend for 30 plus years. And she's not married either. But she has... Um, She's had a boyfriend. I don't don't even lost track how long they've been together, like more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. And when they were dating, the pressure was, oh, when are you going to get engaged? Mm -hmm. And then when you get engaged, which they did, when are you going to get married? When you get married, when are you going to have kids? Like there's always something. Um, so she just, they just decided to stall at the engagement stuff. They're like, let's just stay engaged forever and just piss them off. So they're in it to win it together. Right. But I think it just, it just depends. You know, some of my friends have had traditional, you know, getting married in their twenties, having kids, you know, that whole time schedule everybody thinks they're supposed to fit into, but I mean, not everybody fits that mold. Yeah. And And there's nothing, and again, nothing against that mold. And, And that's not even what I'm critiquing. I'm critiquing like. The pressure. Yeah. Or just the stigma of not being. Within that mold, yeah, I think I, st- I definitely think there's still a, is a stigma, um, society-wise. Yeah, and it socially. hits women way harder than men. Yeah, by the my way. family just doesn't particularly bug it, bug yeah. me about it anymore. But people always, what? Why aren't you married? Why do you have kids? I'm like, well, actually. That's a really personal question and none of your business. I've learned that as I get older. But when I was younger, it would actually really bother me and get inside my head. Like, why, 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 why am I not? Well, what if I don't want to do that right now? Yeah. What if I haven't met the right person? That's more important to me. I could have gotten married quite a few times. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't. (laughs) But if I had listened to the pressure, I would have probably been divorced. Yeah. Yeah. Not the right person. Not the right time. Exactly. Yeah. And divorce has its own stigma. So you can't win. Yeah. Unless it's... Oh, unless- you're a divorcee. Although I don't think it has the same stigma it used to. No? Yeah. Look at Meghan Markle. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that's... The worst example ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, she was divorced and got married when... If you get remarried, don't do a big wedding. Yeah. You had one. You had one big wedding. Yeah, and you know, don't ask me to buy you another gift, okay? (laughs) Not that she asked me to buy her gift at all, but whatever. But yeah, there is definitely society pressure. But yeah, I just yeah, I've learned to kind of put that on the in the back, not not let it bother me. How is Vancouver as a city for for singles in your point of view? Well, you know, I don't do online dating or anything like that because I think it's weird. I didn't mean for you personally. I just meant because you No, and are a lot of my friends do as media, well. You see a lot of things. You hear a lot of things. What I hear are women saying, oh my God, this is the worst city to date in. The men here are the worst. And then I hear men saying, oh my God, this is the worst city to date in. <laughs> the women are the worst. Yeah. And it's funny because women always say there's no one to date here. And men, it seems like men do too. And I think there's different age groups that have their own different problems, maybe demographics, maybe more people are married around 30 and 
not around 40 because they get mm. divorced and stuff. But I think everybody complains about how terrible it is instead of trying to talk to people. You know, it's just we, we're very cliquey here. And again, pre-COVID, post-COVID, Vancouver is such a cliquey city yeah. that when you go out, usually uh, if you go out with a table of friends, it could be mixed, male, female, all men, all women, doesn't matter. But people always stay in their little zone. Sure. And if when I go to other cities and I'm a group of friends, again, it can be male, female, all men, all women, doesn't matter. People in other cities tend to talk to the other people at the other tables. But it seems like here, people go out with their friends to be out with their friends. Yeah. Not all of them. But for the most part. For the most part, we still, we stay in our little groups. And I think that's what prevents us from meeting people. Yeah. But now our tables are going to be separated by six feet to make it even more awkward. (laughs) No, it's going to be very hard. And plexiglass between us and lots of hand sanitizer. Again, as a germaphobe, your time to shine. I know, but I just, I just don't, I'm not, I haven't been to a restaurant since February. Yeah. Yeah. You're going tonight. No, I'm going to somebody's backyard. Oh, I'm, st- backyard. I'm still I've still only doubled my bubble mo. I am oh, okay. not one of those people. I and again, I cannot judge others for what they're doing as long as you know, if we're following the guidelines and Dr. Bonnie's saying it's okay to go to restaurants, if that's what's right for you, have at her. Me right now, not how I'm gonna it's also because it I just doesn't seem enjoyable. I've seen how restaurants um have to the time will change for me. Yeah. Um, but right now it's just not the right time for me. You know? Okay. And I, yeah, I guess I, I've been to several restaurants at this point. And so many people have. <laughs> and I think it's so great to support them. But maybe it's my germophobia, perhaps. Yeah. Also, still, I'm seeing my mom mm, on a regular basis. A so sure. I have a lot of thought into who I'm connecting with and what I'm doing. I've been seeing people for work. Absolutely. Yeah. Wearing a mask. All of us have to follow protocols because doing television, we absolutely have to. Um, But I haven't increased my social bubble as far as the people that I'm seeing right now, just because my mom's, you know, she's in the zone. She could get, you know, really sick. That's not the note that I want to end the podcast. Oh, are we ending? (laughs) Have have we been talking this long? No, let's end on something positive. How are you doing? How's that? Hey, (laughs) y'all. It was great. Yeah, I popped open a hey all. I offered you one. You passed, which is totally fine. No pressure. I'm good. What are you going to do for your next phase of COVID? Like, what are your plans? Two years with the pod. Let's turn it on Mo for a sec. Okay, Mo. (laughs) Here's the deal. Yeah, please. You said that, um, I mean, hitting goals. It's part of what you're doing. Having a podcast. Two years. 80 some on episodes. Right. What is next? What's your next goal? Who do you want to be sitting right here? Who is a dream guest you have not had? At the had? moment, you. So that's Thank you. I was not happening. fishing for a compliment. But if you could have anybody <laughs> sitting across, it's that dinner party question. If you could have, sure. who's your dream guest? Trevor Linden. Really? Yeah. Because he was my hero growing up. And I did get to meet him as an adult, and I actually had a nice chat with him as an adult, but I think being able to interview him for like an hour would be mind-blowing for me. Have you asked him? I don't know how to reach him. I have no idea. I know someone who is his neighbor, and apparently he's like, I think he recently did some media for something, but other than that, he's not really interested in doing any media. All right. Well, here's the deal. (laughs) Let's you gonna make, make this happen? Well, let's try and make this happen. If that's your dream guest, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, I'm right? sure I could pester some people and try and get. Hey, Trevor, are you listening? Mo wants you to. <laughs> Is he on Twitter? 
He is, but he has not tweeted in like you've checked. You've seven gone down years. This road. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can make that. Who else? The premier, but that'll happen soon. That that one, I'm not too worried about. I think that's gonna happen down the line. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of Vancouver celebrities, I mean, then we can get crazy and be like, so crazy. Who is the dream guest? It's not a Vancouver celebrity. That's not a Vancouver celebrity. Yeah. Oh. Whitney Cummings, my really? celebrity crush. Oh, that's awesome. 100%. Yeah. What would you ask her? Ooh. Tough one. I can't say on the spot. I would really have to think about it. I would make it a tight hour where I get to tight, but with some flexibility to, you know, see where the conversation goes. Would you get freaked out by her celebrity status because she is no, your celebrity crush? No, I've uh, I've already met her a few times. Oh, she's, you she's oh lovely. listen to this. Yeah, she's lovely. What was it like meeting your celebrity <laughs> crush though? I've told the story in the podcast, but I'll tell it again because some people might have not caught that episode. The very first time I met her, a friend of mine and I we went down to Seattle to see her perform live, and I had been singing Whitney's praises not just because she's an amazing comic. But because she is being very open with a lot of mental health stuff and a lot of stuff around body image and a lot of things that surprisingly resonated with me, even though I'm well aware that I'm not her target demo. And this was someone that I just really admired and I thought made me think differently about a lot of things in my life. So she just wrote a book. She was performing in Seattle in this old theater called the Neptune Theater. Ended up getting tickets, went with a friend, sort of a last minute thing. And there was a meet and greet involved with the show. And basically you get to have your book signed. And so I said to my friend, I was like, well, I got to get her something. Like, so I had a gift bag for her. You did? Yeah, just some like Canadian stuff and, you know, nothing too over the top. And I remember being very conscious and being like, okay, I can't creep this person out. Like, I don't want to linger. I don't want to ask them for anything. And he said he didn't freak out. (laughs) I did not. I did not. You know, I just wanted to say my appreciation without being too long-winded, which is very difficult for me. (laughs) So I had like a scripted little thing in my my head where I'm like, this is only 20 seconds, so it's fine. And uh, yeah, when I met her, I said what I said, and I said, you know, your work has had such a big impact in my life. Thank you so much. Here's a little present. We we drove down from Canada, and so she started crying, and uh, she did like a video selfie with me. Yeah, it was like so cool. It, in terms of celebrity experiences, it was that's amazing. It could not be taught. But it's so nice that you got to meet somebody who is your celebrity crush and somebody yeah. that you admire, and you had a good experience like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I think getting to interview someone is like a whole different level. It's completely different because the pressure's on, right? <laughs> the pressure's on. It is like an intimate setting in a way. Yeah. Right? For sure. Especially when you get to talk to someone for an hour. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's my dream guest. <laughs> well, Whitney Cummings. <laughs> and Trevor, and Trevor Linden. Linden. Get your butts in this chair. I think Trevor will come on your show. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. You're going to help me out with that one. I am. Okay. I'm going to do my darndest. Let's make it happen. Yeah. He came on uh, my show over the years many times, and what a nice guy. Right? Just the nicest guy. Yeah. I met him as a kid, and I met him as an adult, and yeah, again, did not disappoint. Yeah. No, he's a good dude. But I understand that for being in the public spotlight for so long, you're not interested in media or doing any 
more of that stuff, right? You never know. Right? You were, ooh, you were. See, you got to make those, see, you gotta make those <laughs> things happen. Dream guest. Yeah. Well, no expectations, but I got my hopes up, so we'll see. <laughs> it's doable. Fiona, this was so lovely. Thank you. This is a formality, but how do people follow you? What do you want them to check out? Please advertise all your social media. At Smiling Chewy. All pictures of my dog. I want people to follow that. He only has 234 followers, and I think that's quite pathetic. Wow. So, no, but for me- You're not plugging him enough on your social I media. I uh, It's uh, Mine's just Fiona Forbes everywhere, except for TikTok, because all the kids got the names before I did, so I can't remember. <laughs> did what you try? I did. I was trying to get my name, <laughs> and I've been really lucky, except for Gmail and TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. There's Fiona Forbes everywhere. But most seriously, thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on two years. That is no easy feat in any business, especially the media business that is so competitive with so many podcasts out there. And I am one of the many people that enjoy yours. So here's to many more episodes. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. And by the way, next time, hey y'alls, but like on a patio. Yes. I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. Thanks so much, Fiona. People, she is a ray of sunshine in the BC media landscape. Just an absolute sweetheart. My friend, a queen in her own right, she is Fiona Forbes. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. <laughs>